Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. In the previous episode, we discussed the introduction, which laid the foundation for all the subsequent uh, episodes that we will encounter. One of the most important themes or the most important people that we were introduced in the first chapter was Edwin Barnes, who became a business associate of Thomas Edison, the great inventor. Now, one of the traits that he had that, that got him to that position was that of desire. And that is the name of chapter two, desire, the starting point of all achievement. The first part of this chapter is, is, is titled the first step towards riches. And the second is titled desire outwits mother nature. And I, and I should add after reading the second part, uh, there's a very interesting story there, a story which I will lay a lot more focus on in this episode. In the first part, the first step towards riches. We're introduced to Edwin Barnes, who got off a freight train from, to Orange, New Jersey, in order to fulfill his desire of work, working with the scientist, Thomas Edison. The author writes, as he made his way from the railroad tracks to Thomas Edison's office, his mind was at work. He saw himself standing in Edison's presence. He heard himself asking Edison for an opportunity to carry out the one consuming obsession of his life, a burning desire to become the business associate of the great endeavor. Today, people who know Barnes envy him because of the quote unquote break life yielded him. They see him in the eyes of his triumph without taking trouble to investigate the cause of his success. Barnes succeeded because he chose a definite goal, placed all his energy, all his power, all his effort, everything back of that goal. He did not become partner of Edison the day he arrived. He was content to start in the most menial work as long as it provided an opportunity to take even one step towards his goal. During all those years, not one ray of hope or very few rays of hope shined toward him. In, in such a predicament, most men would give up, but Edwin Barnes did not. Now, the author writes that it was a remarkable illustration of the power of definite desire. Barnes won his goal because he wanted to be an associate of Mr. Edison. He created a plan by which to attain that purpose. He burnt all bridges. Now, that, that, that is an important part, an important theme of this particular story. When Barnes came to uh, Edison, when he took on, took the freight train to Orange, New Jersey, he did not have any other goal in mind apart from that of becoming an associate of Edison, the author writes. And, um, and in this endeavor, in order to achieve this, he burned all bridges in his hometown. And he did not say something like, I will work there for a few months and if I get no encouragement, I will quit and get a job somewhere else. He said, I will start Anywhere, I will do anything Edison tells me to. But before I am through, I will be his associate and I will work for him. Another important story that the author relates in order to uh, buttress this point is, is that of Hernan Cortez, um, a Spanish explorer who in the year 1519 uh, voyaged to, I think, Mexico. And on reaching there, he burnt the bridge, he burnt the boats um, that they used to get there. And he told in, in this, he sent a message to his men uh, who fought alongside him saying that we, we must, you see the boats going up in smoke, 
That means that we cannot leave these shores alive unless we win. We now have no choice. We win or we perish. That sort of unrelenting um, option, right? You just have one option, succeed or die. I think this is very well, at least in, in pop fiction and popular fiction, this is well um, encrafted in, 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 in that scene from The Dark Knight Returns when um, Bruce Wayne is in the pit and he tries to jump uh, to, to climb out of the pit um, and he eventually decides not to take the rope because he then has only one option where he either survives or uh, he dies. And, and in, in that way, he burnt his bridge. Uh, he burnt his boat rather. Boat rather. And that, that was that. Um, another, another important story that Napoleon Hill uh, raises is the morning is is that of the Chicago fire, which was, as 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 a simple Wikipedia search puts it, um, a a fire in the state of in this in in the in the in the city of Chicago that burnt a lot of merchant shops, um, and as a result of the fire, many merchants stood on State Street, looking at the smoking remains of what had been their stores. They went into the conference to decide if they would try to rebuild or leave the city and start over again. Many merchants decided to leave. One among them didn't. His name was Marshall Field, who eventually went on to found uh, Marshall Field and Company, a chain of department stores that was popular in the US in the late um, 19th century, early uh, 20th century. And remember this book came out in 1937. So um, this was a time when it was either at the peak of its popularity or just died down. Um, and Barnes uses these examples to relate the, the importance of having not just a desire, but a burning desire. And he, 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 he encapsulates it in, four, in six uh, steps, which I will read as follows. Fix in your mind the exact amount of money you desire if it's, a go, if, if, if it's money you desire. It is not sufficient to merely say, I want plenty of money. Be definite to that amount. Number two, determine exactly what you intend to give in return for the money you desire. There is no such reality as something for nothing. That sacrifice can be certain amount of time you would spend in order to earn that money, certain amount of jobs you take up, certain amount of skills you acquire, at what cost, what opportunity cost do those come? These are important. Step number three, establish a definite date when you intend to possess the money you desire. There is no encouragement like a deadline. Create definite plan for carrying out your desire and begin at once, whether you are ready or not to put this plan into action. I would definitely add to this by, by measuring progress in order to give yourself both positive and negative feedback loops so that you know where you stand and how you're going. Point number five, write out a clear, concise statement of the amount of money you intend to acquire. Name the time limit for its acquisition. State what you intend to give in return for the money and describe clearly the plan through which you intend to accumulate it, which is a simple encapsulation, sorry, a summary of uh, the above four points. Point number six, and this is just repetition. Read your written statement aloud twice daily, once just before retiring at night and once after rising in the morning, as you read, see and feel and believe yourself already in possession of that money. It is important that you follow the instructions. 
it is especially important that you observe and follow the instructions in the sixth point. Now, a lot of these, a lot of these examples, um, a, 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 a majority of this chapter, at least the first part of this chapter, relate several examples like we just saw with Marshall Field, with Hanan Cortez, with uh, Edwin Barnes. He goes on to give uh, give an example of Andrew Carnegie, Thomas Edison, um, uh, Henry Ford, who's a particular favorite, Columbus, Copernicus, etc. And it's important quote that. Um, Napoleon Hill writes, which is, I think, by Emerson um, or, or Copernicus. Um, and, 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 and this is repeated throughout, and this forms a theme for the chapter, which reads, success requires no apologies. Failure permits no alibi. Every failure brings with it the seed of an equivalent success. Now, this is, again, an important um, these are again important examples to follow, but again, uh, but since these are repetitive for me in in an audio form, uh, and for you listeners who are listening to it on are listening to it on the fly, uh, I will retire these uh, examples at least for this particular this particular chapter, and I will go on to the more important, at least what is more important in my view um, in this chapter, which is a personal story that Napoleon Hill shared, and it's slightly long, so paucity of time, let's focus on this, which is in the second part of, of, um, of the chapter, titled, Desire Outwits Mother Nature. And we heard from, um, from, from the author that he will share a story from his son, and this is indeed it. He said, I wish to introduce one of the most unusual, unusual persons I have ever known. I saw him 24 years ago, a few minutes after he was born. He came into the world without any physical sign of years. And the doctor admitted when pressed for an opinion that the child might be deaf and mute for life. But I decided, says Napoleon Hill, that my son would hear and speak. Nature could send me a child without years but nature could not induce me to accept the reality of the affliction. In my own mind, I knew that my son would hear and speak. How? Through desire, more than anything else. I desired that my son should not be a deaf mute, but that desire I never receded, not for a second. But what could I do about it? Somehow I must find a way to transplant into my child's mind my own burning desire for ways and means of conveying sound to his brain, without the aid of years. Every day I renewed the pledge I made to myself not to accept a deaf mute for a son. As he grew older and began to take notice of things around him, we, we observed that he had a slight degree of hearing. So he, want, he, was, he was not completely deaf. When he reached the age when children usually begin talking, he made no attempts to speak, but we could tell by his actions that he could hear certain words and certain sounds. That was all I wanted to know. We bought a Victrola, which again, I think is a um, musical instrument, uh, which is a musical instrument, which is used to play um, records um, in, in sort of the olden days. Again, I did not know this. This was, <laughs> uh, I found this out by a quick Google search in, in the middle of the, 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 the way, the, the podcast, sorry. 
Um, when the child heard the music for the first time, he went into ecstasies and promptly appropriated the machine. He soon, he soon, sorry, he soon showed a preference for certain records among them. It's a long way to Tipperary. On one occasion, he played the piece over and over for almost two hours, standing in front of the Victrola with the seat clamped. The significance of this self-formed habit for, for his did not become clear to us until years afterwards. We had never heard of the principle of own conduction of sound at the time. These discoveries placed in my possession necessary media by which I began to translate into reality my burning desire to help my son develop hearing in speech. I soon, I soon discovered that the child enjoyed bedtime stories, so I went to work creating stories designed to develop, designed to develop in him self-reliance, imagination, and a keen desire to hear and to be normal. I had examined clearly, I had examined clearly in my examination, it clearly indicated that every adversity brings with it a seed of equivalent advantage, just like the court we saw previously relate. Now this, his son Blair did not question anything that he was told. He sold the idea that he, uh, he, 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 he received the idea that he had a distinct advantage over his older brother. For example, the teachers in school would observe that he had no ears um, and could not hear. And because of this, they would show him special attention and always treat him with kindness. And he was seven, when Blair was seven, he showed the first evidence that our method of servicing his mind was bearing fruit. For several months, he begged for the privilege of selling newspapers, but his mother was against the idea because she did not think that he could handle himself out in the world, especially given his predicament. Finally, he took matters into his own hands. One afternoon when he was left alone at home, he climbed through the kitchen window, shimmied to the ground and set out on his own. He borrowed six cents in capital from the neighborhood shoemaker, invested it in papers, sold out, reinvested and kept repeating until late in the evening. After balancing his accounts and paying back six cents he had borrowed from his banker, he had a net profit of 42 cents. His mother opened his hand, removed the coins and cried of all things. My reaction was the reverse, says Hill. I laughed heartily for I knew that my plan, to in, that my endeavor to plant in the child's mind an attitude of faith in himself had become successful because he had gone into business on his own initiative and had won. Later events proved this to be true. When his older brother wanted something, he would lie down on the floor, kick in the air. When the little deaf boy wanted something, he would plan a way to earn the money and then buy it himself. He still follows the plan. Truly, my son has taught me that handicaps can be converted into stepping stones for which one may climb towards some worthy goal unless they are accepted as obstacles as alibis and used as alibis. This is again very similar to the quote that we just saw in the previous, um, in the previous few pages. Success requires no apologies. Failure permits no alibis. Now, when he was in, when, when, when the child was in high school, he, ha he tried an electrical hearing aid, but it was no value to him. And he still continued to live with this predicament until he was in college. During his last week in college, something happened which marked the most important turning point of his life. 
through what seemed to be mere chance, he came into possession of another electrical hearing device. The doctor did. He picked up the instrument and more or less carelessly placed it on Blair's head, hooked up the battery, and lo and behold, as if by a stroke of magic, his lifelong desire for a normal hearing became a reality. For this first time in his life, he heard practically as well as any normal person. He heard the radio, he heard the talking picture, he heard his mother's voice, he heard mine. The first time in his life, he could converse freely with other people without the necessity of having to speak loudly. We had refused to accept nature's error. And by persistent desire, we had induced nature to correct that error through the only practical means available. Now, this, this, this hearing aid excited him so much that he wrote a letter to the manufacturer of the aid, enthusiastically describing his experience, something in his letter, something perhaps, which was not written on the lines, but back of them, caused the company to invite him to New York. The sum and substance of that impulse of thought was this. It occurred to him that he might be of help to the millions of different people who go through life the with, without the benefit of hearing devices. Then and there, he reached, a he reached a decision to devote the remainder of his life to rendering useful service to the hard of hearing. Now, when he presented the, um, just before this for an entire month, he carried on intensive research during which he analyzed the entire marketing system of the manufacture of the hearing device and created ways and means of communicating with that hard of hearing all over the world for the purpose of sharing with them his new discovered changed world. And his, when this was done, he put in writing a two-year plan based on his findings. When he presented the plan to the company, he was instantly given, the, given, the, given a position for the purpose of carrying out his ambition. He invited his father, the author Napoleon Hill, to attend a class conducted by his company for the purpose of teaching deaf mutes to hear and to speak. Here, Napoleon Hill saw a demonstration which gave him a greatly enlarged vision of what he had done as well to arouse and keep alive in his son a desire for normal hearing. He saw deaf mutes actually being taught to hear and to speak through application of the same self-help principle he had used more than 20 years previously in saving his son from deaf mutism. Now these, these, these lessons are important in order to understand what the system is um, that, yes, there is, there is nature which cannot, which has set some things into stone and those predicaments cannot be altered Or rather, they cannot be altered immediately, but they can be forced to change, at least to adapt. And and Hill's story, his Hill's personal story uh, about his son Blair and how he was able to mold um, hearing and speaking, even though he was born with certain uh, disabilities, is is proof of that. And this is the this is proof of, as the author writes desire backed by faith because in Hill's words, I have seen this power lift men from lowly beginnings to place of power and wealth. I have seen it drop the grave of its victims. I have seen it serve as the medium by which men stage to come back after having been defeated in a hundred different ways. I have seen it provide my own son with a normal, happy, successful life despite nature's 
having sent him into a world without ears. And I and and just from my perspective, since I've come across a couple of stories that are similar in 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 nature of desire, I would just like to relate one. Um, and uh, one which which I chanced upon uh, very recently, it's, it's the story of this uh, uh, UFC fighter uh, by the name of Francis Ngannou. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly, uh, but he was just I think a week ago he 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 won the heavyweight championship of the world, and and I went uh, and and on the advice of a friend, I, I I heard a very detailed podcast where he. Where he describes how he left Cameroon um, at the age of 22 or early 20s, um, ended up in Morocco with the sole object objective of entering the uh, uh, entering Europe and the UK, and then eventually wanting to go to uh, the US. Uh, he worked in sand mines as a kid for for little to nothing. He went to Morocco in order to escape to, or sort of uh, flee to Spain, and then eventually into Europe. Uh, he he spent 14 months in this journey, a lot of which was spent in the Moroccan desert. Uh, he 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 uh, stole food from from trash cans. He stole it from mice. Uh, he tried seven six times, and on the seventh time, he was successful in 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 making his way into Spain. He was thrown in a Spanish prison. He eventually entered France. Uh, he slept in a parking lot. He eventually got his opportunity boxing, um, and then and then eventually went into mixed martial arts. But throughout him describing the story, he, he always said, and this this is, is this is important from the perspective. This particular chapter is there was always an unrelenting burning desire that told him that he has to continue. Uh, whatever he's doing because he's meant for something greater and, and he was he is and uh, and he's proving that and I think that is the important takeaway from this lesson and that is the important takeaway from um, all these examples that 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 Napoleon Hill and Francis Ngannou has given us and just like to end with the last part of this uh, of this chapter in Hill's own own words to all these men, I wish to convey the thought that all achievement, no matter what, may be its nature or its purpose, but must begin with an intense burning desire for something definite. Thank you for listening to another episode. As there's any way I can make this uh, experience better, just let me know. Uh, but that's it from me. I'm out.